0: Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, we're going to meet another of the remarkable and inspirational thought leaders at the forefront of innovation that UBS supports and celebrates through its Global Visionaries programme. Today we're meeting Ajaita Shah. Ajata is the founder and CEO of Frontier Markets, a social enterprise that empowers rural women with technology to provide people in some 2,500 remote Indian villages with last mile products and services, including clean energy, agricultural tools and home appliances. In the week where we will mark both the United Nations Day of the Girl Child and the UN's International Day of Rural Women, the time is absolutely right to shine a spotlight on Frontier Markets' work across rural India and to talk about the wider impact it can make both there and beyond. It's a great pleasure to welcome Ajayta Shah to the programme. Ajayta, welcome. And before we discuss the work of Frontier Markets in more detail... Maybe just give a bit of personal background almost first, Ajita. Can you just tell us a bit about how, how you ended up being, how you ended up occupying the chair you currently occupy? What's your what's your sort of personal story to this, to this point?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, firstly, as you can tell by my American accent, I was not born in India. So I was born in the US. My parents are originally Indian, but I basically post-college or post-university moved to India in 2005, where I was essentially working working with social enterprises that were in the sector of microfinance as an industry. So microfinance, for those that are not familiar, was kind of the first, I think, interventions in financial inclusion globally that really focused on wanting to deliver loans and savings products to the poor. And they had done that through a gender lens. And so there were women that were essentially getting access to loans where they lived in a way that was pretty revolutionary and, and it scaled across the globe. I particularly worked in that sector for about 7 years in India where I was essentially responsible for looking at how might we properly serve the rural customer beyond financial services so you've gotten a loan but what do you, what else do you need and how can we as a delivery platform provide those services for you because ultimately what we knew was rural customers while you know a massive market uh, we're also quite vulnerable. And given the challenges in healthcare, in energy, and in infrastructure, in just regular day to day appliances, if we weren't supporting them beyond financial services, we weren't going to necessarily retain them as a long term customer. And so I launched a lot of interesting initiatives. I launched India's first micro health insurance product. We launched uh, initiatives under education. I even launched uh, what we would call the boom of, of cell phones in rural India, where it was Aerotelin. And Nokia uh, essentially packaged the products of a cell phone and and a phone service to rural rural customers at scale. Um, Very exciting times, you know, spend seven years working in over seven states of India, which I think most people know, or could could be equivalent to seven countries, and in over 5,000 villages, working with over 20 million rural customers, really helping launching a way for products and service companies to reach this rural customer at scale. Fascinating time to say, and also I could say I was very lucky because I was a, the, probably a, one of very few 20-year-olds that could say that you know you kind of launched um, new platforms and solutions for people at, at millions and created multi-million dollar uh, business opportunities. All of that was fantastic, and it was wonderful because it really gave me an opportunity to learn about rural India, which is a massive, massive market, right? 800 million people living in over 700,000 villages scattered. Made me, it helped me also learn, though, the challenges of rural India and where rural f- families are essentially quite vulnerable when they do not have access to quality products and services. And ultimately, the humility behind that, right? Uh, how rural customers ultimately deserve dignity, justice, access to quality products and services. Where Frontier Markets happened was essentially the aha moments where a lot of these delivery solutions were just not working. I tried. I tried really hard to build to bring in clean water by selling you know, water purifiers to microfinance institutions. I tried bringing solar products to rural families by trying to sell through microfinance institutions. And I think the challenge that I kept facing was that there was a product market fit gap. Product companies were not necessarily designing for this rural customer. There was a delivery gap. Um, it was very challenging to bring in durables through a microfinance institution that frankly was a financial institution, not a supply chain, so local delivery and getting those products to market effectively, cost effectively was a challenge. After sales service was a really big challenge, because ultimately, a lot of these suppliers were, you know, sitting in a big city, they weren't necessarily having infrastructure to reach this rural customer in case something went wrong. And I think ultimately, it was also just a matter of influence, right? Rural customers were not necessarily educated, or had access to information to help them make these decisions. And think about this in every angle, right? Whether it's health services, whether it's energy access, whether it's digital services, financial services, there's just a really big gap. And I got frustrated by that gap because I think other than the lack of market viability, there was a massive impact reality. People were dying in kerosene fires. You saw people living in darkness and you saw poverty. You saw injustice to really the mass market in a way that I just couldn't um, handle anymore. And it kind of made me angrily want to find a way to create a better solution. And that's kind of how Frontier Markets
0: started. Well, absolutely. And you've set it up perfectly. Just give us, if you like, the kind of elevator pitch, I guess, to to Frontier Markets. You've explained very eloquently how you arrived at that point. But then once you had galvanized all of those frustrations you've described and, and realized that there was an opportunity and indeed an imperative to do something, how did that take shape?
1: Yeah. So really in a nutshell, what Frontier Markets does is exactly that it connects products and services to rural customers, to people. We have done this through three lenses. One is we've physically built a rural supply chain. So delivery, warehousing, and field staff that are locally delivering products at the doorstep to where these rural customers live. And we aggregate know products from different partners. And we essentially have been the what we call the last mile extension to really help these companies reach this rural customer base logistically. The second thing that we've done is we've invested in what we think is our game changer in rural women. We believe the best way to truly build trust and connect and truly understand the rural customer, you need to invest in influencers that can really help you connect with the rural customer. So our lens was always a customer centric lens. We said we want to design and we want to build a marketplace where the rural customers telling you what you need, what they want, and then you're making it happen. And how do you do that? You invest in rural women that are essentially your marketers, your demonstrators, your data collectors, your sales force. And then the third thing that we have done, which I think has been, I guess, revolutionary or game changing, especially in the last couple of years, is that entire ecosystem from the supply chain to the rural field staff to these women uh, entrepreneurs are all on a digital platform. So we have an uh, e-commerce platform that we developed in-house which has been catered to the rural digital challenges. So it's local, it's vernacular, it's voice enabled. And imagine every rural women entrepreneur has a smartphone and is able to use technology to then be able to connect and connect our customer to an online shopping experience. And so it's like a physical meets digital intervention in rural India. So what we always say is that you know we're India's first social rural commerce platform that connects products and services to rural customers at scale. And we do it with, with the lens of customer first. We do it with the lens of gender inclusivity. And the outcome is that we have rural customers that get access to incredible products and services, whether it's in agriculture, clean energy, digital products like you know, smartphones and internet and top-ups, consumer electronics, appliances, et cetera they get access to all of this, but those brands, those companies that have all been wanting to tap this 800 million population market are also finally getting a chance to access new markets, getting a chance to design for an untapped potential, and they're not having to do it by building distribution from scratch because they leverage our platform. And finally, of course, our women entrepreneurs that we invest in quite heavily because we do think that they're the rock stars of this entire system, they earn money. They earn real money. And they're earning money through the sales, through the commission that they make, they earn money through the data that they collect, and they're able to actually really influence their ecosystem and their village. They're able to earn income to then be a front-run center influencer of their family, and we see that as being a really powerful outcome on top of that.
0: I want to ask you a little bit, Ajita, about how this sort of fits into the bigger picture by which I'm thinking of things like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and indeed these United Nations Days, respectively, things like the day of the girl, the day of of yeah. rural of rural women, are those kinds of focus points, those kind of moments, if you like, I guess they are only moments and you want to see concerted, continue action, but nevertheless, Correct. they must still be very important in terms of focusing people's attention and providing you and others that you work with an opportunity to really kind of blast out through the loud hailer yeah. the, the importance of the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're very appreciative of what the SDG platform can do for us on on a global level, on a government level, on a business level, and of course, on, on a community level, because ultimately, you know, SDG 5, SDG 7, SDG 10, SDG 1, you know, they're all centered around the ethos of what we operate in, right? So we, one of our biggest verticals that we focus on is clean energy and climate. And so, you know, we work on helping rural families get access to better quality solar appliances, which is a game changer for energy access and its effects on poverty and inequality. But at the same time, it's also, you know, uh, instrumental in looking at the effects that divest can have in climate change. When a hundred million people aren't using kerosene, carbon reduction is massive. And this is huge when you start thinking about the larger repercussions of the work that we do. But especially for the gender lens, and this has been super important for me and it's, it's one of the reasons why I believe that we're seeing a shift finally, where the universe is saying that investing in women is no longer an option, it's imperative and it's inevitable. And what we are really proud of also being able to showcase via partnerships with the UN is how that can happen and where the entire value chain can be very gender centric, right? So the fact that we can show the impact of economic empowerment on women, and why women are critical to be a part of the supply chain or the value chain, it allows us to then really highlight those elements through the UN. And so we're very proud of some of the partnerships that we currently already have with the UN. We work with UN Women, we work with the UNDP, we also work, uh, we've worked with UNCDF. We've also been a part of a lot of these high political forum conversations because I think what is wonderful is being a business model in a country that can be an example of what can be done at scale, at a massive scale, not um, just in India, but I think globally. And and I think the UN allows us to really highlight that in a way that reaches masses in a uh, in a way that's critical at this juncture.
0: You're a, a UBS global visionary, of course. And I guess that's another example of where collaborative forces can drive real meaningful change can you talk to us a bit about how empowering these kinds of collaborations are more broadly and indeed i don't know whether the partnership with ubs opens up more doors in terms of Absolutely. philanthropic opportunities or, or changing the perception of yeah. how people's philanthropic giving or their involvement what that can actually what that can can, can look like
1: we've evolved into what i would call like a coalition mindset where we recognize that to do this kind of work, right, to reach almost close to a billion people in India and empower over 165 million women that are part of the self-help group network in rural India today, it takes definitely more than frontier markets to make that happen. And then if you add the verticals of the different interventions, right, the agri sector, the energy sector, the financial inclusion sector, the digital inclusion sector, the energy inclusion sector, that's a lot of things to do, right? And, and so we, we recognize, we spend a lot of time seeing this value chain and understanding the roles that people play and who does it best, and how do you then bring them on board so that it's a win-win coalition, right? We have a shared incentive value structure. So the example I can give you, that's very tangible is how we reach rural women and how we reach rural communities is not through us going directly and trying to just, you know, go into a village and build this from scratch, We partner with grassroots community organizations. We partner with local nonprofits who have been spending decades working in these areas and empowering these societies and these communities and these women. Why they partner with us is because they see that we're able to take what they've done to the next level, which is elevate the potential of these women that they've already socially empowered by bringing them a business opportunity. Now, we also, however, work with these nonprofits and we hire them build their capacity to do the work on the ground of recruiting, training, and onboarding women because we know they can do it better than us. The challenge here, and I think this is kind of where, I think to your point of philanthropic capital comes in, is that it's new, right? It's very new for a nonprofit or for a grassroots community to bring in a market lens and think about social commerce or think about marketing in the way that we're talking about or recruit women in the the way that we're talking about. So we end up wanting to really bring through more philanthropic money to help build the capacity of these organizations to look at the exponential scale as one angle. Now, the other angle, of course, is on the supply chain side, which is, of course, our partners, uh, our product companies. We work with a lot of corporates, whether it's Samsung or Philips or Unilever or others, who essentially are the pioneers of designing great products. And bringing them to the platform is not just about serving their need, which is commercial of getting them business. That's the maybe incentive, but it's also the fact that they truly want to create better solutions for this large market. And they too have their own SDG responsibilities. And therefore, by partnering together, we're able to design better. We're able to co-create. We're able to come up with better solutions at a better price point to really reach the masses. And I think that's really been a really powerful place to be at. But to do all of this, of course, we need to scale. Now, the scale-up angle is, is critical, right? Today, friend, people applaud what we've done. We have 10,000 women entrepreneurs. We have about half a million customers. And we've sold almost 3 million solutions in the last three years. And we've done it profitably, which makes everyone seem so excited. And I'm like, yeah, but in India, that's not even 1% of the market. And so to reach that mass, partnerships have to evolve, which means that government comes in in a very different way we start recognizing that you know even government does have a gender lens and has an intentional desire to create economic empowerment for rural women and reach their constituents rural constituents faster they have fantastic infrastructure so coming with government is a unique opportunity to then scale challenge is government does not necessarily want to put money into a new initiative that is market driven that they don't quite understand so again how might we leverage blended capital, philanthropic money, as well as equity capital to invest in those pilots to de-risk the fears that the government might have so that we can leverage the government scale to reach a million women entrepreneurs in the next five years, to reach 100 million customers in the next five years. I think that's something we've been thinking about a lot. Where UBS plays a role, and this is why we're so excited, is because I think UBS helps us in all of this. right? Um, The other major area of collaboration, of course, has been on the data side. The data, the m and monitoring and evaluation, but also looking at what data can do for customer insights and technology. So we work with a lot of technology partners today, like Amazon AWS. We work with you know data science partners because we recognize that we need to keep improving our technology to be able to handle the mass. And I think you know big partners like Amazon, like Google, like Microsoft can really help us. Be bigger, think deeper, and think more innovatively in a way that maybe we as a social enterprise are not there yet. And so when we became a UBS global visionary, uh, super excited for these reasons. We said, wow, like, can UBS platform introduce us to those philanthropists that are really interested in gender inclusion, are interested in systems change, are interested in blended capital and looking at exponential scale? Like, what can the role that philanthropic money play to really? take an initiative and accelerate it in a non-linear way. But also to work with UBS to say, well, there's a lot of skills and mentors that we can actually leverage to help us think more critically to prepare for that scale, both on an organizational perspective as well as an industry perspective as a leader. And lastly, of course, work with corporates that are interested in wanting to really be a part of what I think is going to be the biggest marketplace in the world and in a way that's happening now. And, and how do we help the corporates also design for that, but also help them achieve their SDG goals as well? Because it's not just social enterprises that are trying to do this, or nonprofits that are trying to do this, it's everybody. So this is where we think that there's a unique opportunity to really design big and think wide and think deep and really look at it with a coalition or collaborative lens.
0: When we look at uh, data, digital technology more broadly, well, not unlike some of the questions I've already asked you, what are the what are the limits there, or is it more to say what kind of freedom does that does that offer?
1: So we are super excited about technology and its disruptive role that it's played even in our own business, but we're also equally worried. and And I think it's bringing up a really interesting question around how we need to place ourselves as social business. So what's been game changing is, of course, that India has really invested in digitization. And, you know, today rural villages have access to internet connectivity, which is a game changer because all of a sudden smartphone penetration is happening at a different level. People are being able to go online and get exposed to more things out in the world. And how do we harness and leverage that to really start getting better data, getting better uh, ability to send communication and messages and really connect with this massive market faster, which is so exciting. And I think that there's a lot of innovation that's coming into that space as well in terms of the role that voice can play, the voice that AI bots can play, the role that, you know, platforms like WhatsApp and Facebook and social media can play. So really exciting stuff. And I think we are, we are in this epicenter as Frontier Markets leveraging all of that in terms of our own digital marketing strategies and our connecting to our world customers and collecting data. What scares me is when we don't, when we don't understand the big gaps Today, even though there are cell phones that have reached rural customers, like out of the seven people that need it in that family, only one has it, not all seven. And you can imagine women are the last to have it. And so ultimately, the, the digital literacy gap, the digital hardware access gap, all of these elements, I believe, is going to create another massive widening of disparity. And I think that's really where I'm hoping that we can work more again with donors to kind of start understanding how to make sure that gap doesn't get so wide that yet again, people are left behind. And I think that that's something that I'm, you know, really critically thinking about a lot these days. Like what role can the Googles and the Facebooks and the WhatsApps do with us in a gender lens perspective of ensuring that this gap doesn't widen further. And then lastly, protection. Data protection, consumer protection, accountability. These things are still really big ethical questions that come in on a regular basis. And ultimately, equity capital doesn't give you the space to dive into a strategy and protect in, a, in the same way. So is that public policy capital? Is that donor capital? Is Who is that? And is there a space, again, for us to really look at those elements to make sure that we are also thinking about future safety and its unintended consequences if we don't look at it in the right way?
0: Ajata Shah, thank you so much for talking to us. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda each week here on Monocle 24. You can find out more about the work of Ajata Shah and her colleagues and partners in Frontier Markets. Visit Frontier Markets, that's FrontierMKTS.com now, or follow them at Frontier Markets, that's also spelled FrontierMKTS. For more about all of the global visionaries in the UBS programme, head to ubs.com now and search Global Visionaries. In the meantime, you can listen again to this and every episode, including our archive of other brilliant visionaries at monocle.com and across all good audio and podcast platforms. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle24.